we were discussing it before we started recording, but it's worth mentioning, I think, before we, we dive further into the plays that like, and, and it's kind of an inconvenient thing for people that are trying to like, you know, Bohemian Grove pill like normies, you know, is if you look it up and, you know, if you look up the history, it really wasn't started by like high bourgeois businessmen. And yeah, it not evolved over nearly time. people on the, the scale that are like now involved in it or have been. Exactly. Yeah. Which kind of gives them a little bit of cover because they can say, look, like this was started by a bunch of artists. Now, it's kind of a complicated story, but uh, well, it's not that complicated, actually, how no. that developed. Basically, you had a bunch of kind of like artists and journalists and writers in San Francisco in the early 1870s that founded the Bohemian Club. And they really did mean I think a lot of these uh, a lot of these guys had traveled to Europe and like hung out in Paris and stuff. Yeah. And they were very enamored with like kind of like European cafe culture. And yeah, that was like that was around the time. Bohemianism yeah. Like we still like, use it today, like as yeah, a kind exactly. of a, a perennially broke, um, you know, living on the edge, like living yeah. by their passion kind of artist person. Yeah. The idea was it was believed that like Romani people like uh, were from bohemia like that like that was their origin in the same way that like the idea of, of gypsies is because they were thought to be from egypt like uh oh, you know so that's know that. where like bohemia like uh i guess the french uh had some notion that uh romani came from t- to france th- through bohemia and then hmm. so that that association was why, you know, Bohemian came to symbolize people, you know, who were kind of living on the fringes of polite society uh, or normal society. Yeah, yeah. So this almost sounded like, you know, I mean, it almost sounds like something that would have come about more in like the 1960s with like people that maybe had some eclectic beliefs and like they were very artistic and kind of interested in uh, like the, I mean, the arts broadly defined and they that that's where the tr- these original kind of traditions did spring from is they were putting on plays for each other in this kind of secluded environment um, up in uh, I think I think originally they were in Muir Woods and then they moved a little like further uh, down the Russian River in Sonoma County. And, uh, you know, early on, I think there were there was like the most of the famous people that you would associate with Bohemian Grove were. I don't know, people like Mark Twain or Jack uh, London was like Jack a very London, early b- member. very big yeah. member, kind of an interesting mm-hmm. guy because he's like sort of was a socialist, but then was hanging out with all these rich people. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you can kind of see like the weird like contradictions there with somebody like Jack London. It'd be interesting to go deeper into him one day. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and like Harry Edwards, I think, was like a founding member who was an English stage actor. Um, and, but then they, they kind of ran into a problem after, I think maybe the first, you know, decade or two where mm-hmm. these were all artists who didn't have money, uh, yeah, or not you know, by nature of their profession plays. Yeah. Or make exactly. this, like sustainable. Yeah. So they made a moment, they made a kind of a, a significant decision, uh, in the late 1800s to start inviting wealthy business people. Cause that, by that point they had sort of accrued some clout and prestige and they had they were a cool club and Mm -hmm. the richest people the robber barons uh of san francisco you know we're talking about like the stanfords the crockers people like that they all kind of wanted to get in on the action because you know especially back then like social clubs were immensely important they still are to some extent but Mm -hmm. things like the pacific union club in san francisco is like one of the most elite 
uh, institution. Then you go back to New York, you have like the Knickerbocker Club and, you know, uh, different groups like that. And so they decided, you know what, why don't we let in, at first I think they let in some businessmen if they also had like an artistic talent. The that bohemian they could, you know. spirit, yeah. Like and the, the bohemian spirit. That was spirit. the original big criterion that you had yeah. to have like the bohemian spirit, but that started to like relax heavily. Like there's a, that book by William Domhoff from the seventies, which is called the Bohemian Grove and other retreats. Yeah. Uh, He writes, uh, originally being a good bohemian was supposed to require even more than participation and appreciation. It was having the carefree, unconventional spirit of the vagabond or struggling artist. It was a way of quote unquote being specifically. It was being like the mythical bohemian artist celebrated in American letters since the middle of the 19th century. Indeed, the origins of the Bohemian Club can be traced directly to this romantic literary and cultural current, for the club's founders were much taken with its major figures in their writings. So, you know, yeah, like, uh, as he writes, like, uh, Bohemian as a name for the unkempt, half-starving artist who is creative in spite of his dire circumstances comes from the centuries-old French folk belief that European gypsies were originally from the country of Bohemia. American artists, blah, 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 you know, talks about like Parisian bohemianism uh, and its influence there. So, yeah, that was like originally and that was kind of the uh, idea of it at first. But like over time, they're like, we got to relax this because we don't have like enough uh, capital. Right. Um, Yeah. And then they did get enough capital and really around like the turn of the century uh, and going in up through like maybe the 1930s you start to get a real shift and it becomes much more secretive because it wasn't like a super secret society when all these artists started in the 1870s. Like it was private, but I think they were much more open to like inviting guests and kind of letting other people come. And then once it got all these like rich men, you know, up in it, then it became more like a traditional like Pacific Union club where only like the you know, the most exclusive individuals were permitted. And that was kind of around the period where like Jack London joined was around like the turn of the century. And, you know, there still were like prominent artists. I mean, there still is today. I mean, like we've talked before about how like two of the members of the Grateful Dead are Bohemian Grove members. And like Bob Weir is like talked about, yeah, you know, it's just cool to kick back at the campfire with the general and like former CIA director and just like, <laughs> yeah, chop just, it up, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, right. So yeah, it's like is... that. So even that is kind of like it kind of makes sense that Bob Weir would be a Bohemian Grove member because as what is it? Domhoff uh, describes in his book, there still is a kind of uh, contingent of Bohemian Grove members who are artists who don't have to pay the very exorbitant i think it's like twenty five thousand dollars a year Mm -hmm. um and it's like a 15 year waiting list and stuff like that but artists and like celebrities like notable people uh can basically go there sort of like for free but then often they have to perform and it's considered like extremely it's basically cause for getting disinvited or kicked out if you ever ask for money to like perform music or something like that at the Grove. So you could see like Bob Weir is probably jamming up there with like his musician (laughs) buddies and stuff like for the entertainment. I mean, he probably has like a decent amount of money, but you know, it's like people like that. So not, not every single person, but it still has that fundamental sort of like dialectic of bringing the, so, okay. After it kind of morphed into this thing where there were all these wealthy businessmen that came to dominate it, they they didn't like kick out all the artists, like artists and those types of people, creative type people that really did embody like the bohemian spirit. 
in its original incarnation were still going there, but because it became such a pricey affair, they were cut certain breaks. And then so the the culture, and it seems like it's kind of that way to this day, is like the businessmen go there like to rub elbows with like really talented artistic people and kind of hope that like some of that rubs off on them in some kind of way, like some of their ge- yeah. their wild bohemian genius rubs off on them. And right. then the artist gets to go to like one of the most exclusive, like men's summer retreats, like in the world and gets to hang out with all these powerful people and everything's paid for. And all they have to do is like perform their talents and they get to like hobnob with like high society as well. So it's kind of like this weird, like win-win for both of them but obviously it doesn't a lot of people say like it doesn't really work that way because the more businessmen you let in these are not artistic minds these are dull men of like numbers and power and all these other things yeah i think we should definitely talk about the irony of that like a little bit later on this is uh, a good passage from dom hoff like about that uh he, he writes uh solving the financial problems of the club you know as he said had its price of course In 1880, only eight years after its founding, a group of painters and writers protested that the present day is not as the past days. The salt has been washed out of the club by commercialism. The chairs are too easy and the food too dainty, and the true bohemian spirit has departed. Around the turn of the century, one early member anonymously decried this change in spirit in a little booklet on, quote-unquote, early bohemia. The entering of the money social element has not benefited the club as a bohemian club, he claimed. Now the club had social aspirations, which means death to genius and a general dead level mediocrity. Elsewhere, he noted, in the beginning, rich men were absolutely barred unless they had something of the elements of true bohemianism could do something. Now they get in because they are rich. Um, and this actually apparently caused tensions, uh, and it says the tension which sometimes flare between the rich and the talented members was also experienced by the most famous artist member of the 1880s, Jules uh, Tavernier. Tavernier became so annoyed at one point that he drew an extra cartoon for a jinx night, which he displayed in the clubhouse without the permission of the jinx committee. It was an allegorical cartoon, reminisced a longtime member in 1907, the artist's idea being, Bohemia is fallen into the hands of the bourgeois. Weaving spiders have spun their nets over Bohemia's halls. The owl has taken flight from Bohemia. In effect, no. the cartoon represented a Bohemia where trade and barter were followed, and where they were money changers, as in the temple. This unexpected addition to the evening's entertainment greatly offended many wealthy members, which is said to have pleased Tavernier greatly. Usually the cartoons painted by artist members were hung on the walls, but Tavernier took this one away at the end of the evening, proudly announcing that it was too good for the bourgeois. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, so you do see there, it's a little more complicated than just like, they're all death worshiping, like German death cult worshippers, yeah. like from well, the very it's beginning. it's even worse, like over time, I think, you know, that's even oh, very yeah. early on, like in the 1880s. That was like, eight years the, into it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't even a decade or two. Like yeah. Eight, like already a, like, he was like, the weaving spiders in. have taken over. They have, I mean, really here. ain't nothing new under the sun with yeah. artists, uh, having to go like, you know, sing for their supper and hold their hand out to have the people with money basically sustain their careers or, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like it's still today, like the idea of like an artist doing something like pisses off like wealthy museum donors or like benefactors or something Mm -hmm. like you could still see that uh, dynamic play out. And it's almost like gauche to talk about, you know what I mean? Because everybody's like, how else do you make money as like an artist? So yeah. And it's funny because now it's become like incredible, like it's artistic tastes are still like incredible. Like they're still doing these types of like weird pageants that are like, 
like sort of like a mix between like Elizabethan mass and like USO shows that are like just these bizarre <laughs> really is. I'm pretty sure like, Bob Hope was a member. Well, yeah, like, you know, that's like the type of artist who would like be a member, you know, like uh, uh, they preferred like Bing, Bing Crosby. Crosby, I guess. Yeah. yeah Bing Crosby yeah, was a day. member. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like they even like, you know, I know uh, you've definitely brought up like your suspicions of modern art based on the CIA funding. But like even modern art was like banned from the Bohemian Grove. Yeah. In the 1920s, it was, like too, it was banned. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, because modern art was actually dope and had like social content. So they had to like spend a few decades like to find some alcoholic in New England that they just threw paint at a canvas. Not, oh, yeah, okay, I guess fine, you're, yeah, you're thinking fine. of like uh, <laughs> 50s era, like Rothko and yeah, yeah, no, that, type. yeah. So like, that quote like was specifically in. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, no, I mean, once you got to the 50s and the 60s, uh, all the same true. exact Picasso people was much more political than Picasso was like, like technically speaking a yeah. communist and like so was Diego. Yeah, Rivera I mean, and like Frida. Political painting. Most yeah, of those so people you were. You want Guernica yeah. at the Bohemian Grove uh, for sure. Yeah, I remember when Diego Rivera painted like a Lenin mural on Rockefeller Center, and they were yeah. like, uh, like it's the, that. Like I think that's kind of the thing. Maybe they were like rebelling against. Yeah. Um, and then like once like you know Rothko and Pollock came out, they were like, well, our friends have funded this, so you <laughs> know, we've done the studies, and uh, this will help our cause, basically. For access to the full-length episode, subscribe to the Hour of Frequency at patreon.com slash subliminal jihad. The darkness sacrificed some occult experts. It becomes clear. It is a mixture of the Babylonian Canaanite cult of Moloch fused with ancient druidic rites where you have the female side of Satan, which they first called out to in the sheet, mixed with Masonic rites from Scotland.